you to take your Bibles this morning, if you would, turn kind of near the back of the Bible, book of Colossians. I want to look at a few different passages this morning. This will be one of the key passages. We'll also Hebrews. But turn with me to the New Testament small letter of Colossians chapter 2, if you would. Colossians chapter 2, and then of course, you would keep your place there. This will be one of our texts. And if you're if you're able to stand, read the word on our feet together. There's nothing, there's nothing in the Bible that says we have to do this or that we're more spiritual or we're better than some other church that doesn't stand, not at all, but uh, we do that from time to time in honor of the reading of God's word. So look with me at Colossians chapter 2, beginning at verse 16. We'll look at verses 16 and 17. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. Let's hear the word of the Lord this morning and be grateful to receive it. Therefore, Paul writes in Colossians 2.16, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we pray that you would help us this morning as we consider a very specific uh, ethical doctrinal issue. Help us as we think about this particular subject, but in everything, and also as this subject leads us. Help us to preach Jesus Christ and Him crucified. May we not, Lord, please help us, because we, we could, we could. Help us not to neglect Jesus Christ and the gospel of your free grace, O oh God, through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We thank you that Jesus came and died and shed his blood for sinners like us. So may we rejoice in that this morning. Help us to see that we are those sinners, that we are the people in need of what Christ has done on the cross and in his powerful resurrection. Help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. We do want to talk about this morning that you could just have one word for the title, and that would just be Sunday. Sunday. One of the key texts, Colossians 2, 16 through 17, or if you expand the title, it would be, How Should We Think About Sunday? How Should We Think About Sunday? Lionel Richie saying, Easy. Easy, like Sunday morning. Sunday. How should we think about Sunday? I was talking to a brother yesterday who told me and confessed that years ago, even though he attended church in the morning, 
He said he went to see, he went to the movie theater to see Batman in the afternoon. I won't tell you who told me that until we get to the altar call today. I'll share that maybe then. I like to see the jokes that pop up about Chick-fil-A and Sunday. Don't forget to, to go and get your free sandwich on Father's Day and this, these types of things because, of course, they're not open. On their website, it says, why is Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday? Our founder, S. Truett Cathy, made the decision to close on Sundays in 1946 when he opened his first restaurant in Georgia. Having worked seven days a week in restaurants open 24 hours, Truett saw the importance of closing on Sundays so that he and his employees could set aside one day to rest or worship if they choose, a practice we uphold today. Again, that's from Chick-fil-A's website. Why are we talking about this today? I'm excited to look at this with you. Why this specific subject today? Why Sunday? Let me just very quickly, uh, you don't have to like write these down or anything. Let me tell you four reasons why this subject today. Some things that have converged why we look at this subject. If this helps you, great. This is where I'm coming from with this sermon this morning. Uh, here's one. This Colossians text is a text where we left off. We were looking at Colossians 2 on many Wednesday nights this year. So earlier this year, many Wednesday nights, we were looking at Colossians chapter 2, and we just barely started to look at verses 16 and 17. So that's one reason. Another reason would be our nation, and specifically this summer, the Supreme Court. Let me come back to that. The Supreme Court of America this summer. Another reason would be Hebrews. Hebrews. I'll unpack that as well. And then another, uh, a fourth, I said there was four things that kind of converged as why we're thinking about Sunday. How should we think about Sunday? And that would just be that we, we think it's so important to look at specific ethical and doctrinal issues from the Bible. That is so good and so healthy for us to consider biblical ethics and biblical doctrine. So uh, surely you're familiar with this news. I, uh, I, I read from NBCnews.com. The Supreme Court made it easier Thursday. This is June 29th. June 29th. The Supreme Court made it easier Thursday for employees to seek religious accommodations in a case involving a lawsuit brought by an evangelical Christian mail carrier who asked not to work on Sundays. The case involves a claim brought by a Pennsylvania man, Gerald Groff, who says the U.S. Postal Service could have granted his request that he be spared Sunday shifts based on his religious belief that it is a day of worship and rest. I think how the story went, you probably heard of it. Uh, you see the mail trucks coming in your neighborhood these days on Sunday. They're not delivering the mail. They're delivering for Amazon, and I think that if I remember correctly, is what dovetailed in this case. Gerald Groff, who received the winning verdict, it was a, it was a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court. We always hear there's, there's the liberal justices and there's the conservative justices. This was a 9-0 verdict. He said, I hope this decision allows others to be able to maintain their convictions without living in fear of losing their jobs because of what they believe. Now, I know this is just a little bit of overlap here, but let me give you that same story from a different perspective. This is from a Christian perspective. That was NBC News. This is from a website called Reformation 21. 
This is a brother that I've actually interacted with uh, briefly on occasion. He's a good brother. He's a Presbyterian pastor. His name's Zachary Groff. He shares the same last name as this guy in this story, Gerald Groff. And he says this, Several years ago, Gerald Groff resigned from working as a mail carrier with the USPS. Once his superiors began taking progressive discipline action against him for refusing to work on the first day of the week, commonly recognized to be the Christian Sabbath or Lord's Day. He then took his former employer to court for failing to make a reasonable accommodation for his religious practice as protected under Title VII. What do you think this author's perspective is? Again, his name's Zachary Groff. He's a, he's a pastor. The title of his article is this, The Sabbath at the Supreme Court. So how do you think he views Sunday? He sees this case as a big win for the Christian Sabbath. There's three key texts I want to consider, okay? Three key texts. You can just stay here for right now in Colossians chapter 2. Let me start by reading to you a few verses from Hebrews chapter 8. Listen to this. Again, you can just mark these down if you want. You don't have to go there. Just let these wash over you. Let me help us zero in on three key texts. first key text comes from Hebrews, and I read verse 13 of Hebrews chapter 8, and it says this, in speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete, and what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Hebrews 8 also says this, for he finds fault with them when he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. So you need to maybe remember that Hebrews 8.8 talks about the new covenant, and all Hebrews 8.8 is doing is quoting Jeremiah 31.31. Hebrews 8.8 quotes Jeremiah 31.31 and says, Behold, the days are coming, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like, not like the covenant I've made with their fathers. One more from Hebrews, and all of this is the all of this is the first key text. Hebrews eight, not to mention the book of Hebrews. Hebrews eight six, as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. The book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 8. Now you're still in Colossians 2. Look at that again. Look at Colossians 2 again, verse uh, 16. Paul's really getting to the heart of where he's mad at these false teachers who've come in. And he says, all right, let me get to the point here. Therefore, you, dear believers, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon 
or a Sabbath? Just stop right there and just say, you know, I said the title is Sunday or how should we think about Sunday? But of course, biblically, we're, we're, we're also, and we're thinking about another, another S word, we're thinking about the word Sabbath, okay? We're thinking about the word Sabbath. Oh, would you listen carefully this morning? We want to see Jesus Christ. So he puts that word Sabbath there. Some would disagree, but it seems clear. He's talking about the regular Old Testament Sabbath. Verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Jesus Christ. Paul is jealous for these believers. He's jealous for these Christians at Colossae, and he's jealous for them. He says, I want you. It's as though he says in another place, I betrothed you to Jesus Christ. Why would you ever listen to anything that would take you away from the purity and the simplicity and the beauty of Jesus Christ? Christ crucified. I used to watch Scooby-Doo. And I think it was Scooby-Doo and the mystery gang to where you would see these, these big shadows that would come up on the wall, right? And you say, man, that's a big shadow in the... And I don't know if I'm even getting this right, but the mystery gang, they would be totally spooked by these big shadows on the wall. Have you ever seen a shadow and then the, the physical embodiment of that shadow? Well, of course, we would all answer yes. We know that a shadow is a thing. It's a real thing. It's a shadow. It is a thing. But compared to the substance, it's almost as though it is nothing. And sometimes I think in Scooby-Doo they would realize that whether it was somebody uh, like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain pulling the, the levers and making the shadows seem really scary when in fact it actually wasn't. Maybe sometimes it was, but sometimes it would just seem that way. Paul says, very interesting here in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. I told you there was three key texts. Keep your place here, and if you'd like to go with me very quickly, we'll go for just a minute to Isaiah chapter 58. Let's look at an Old Testament passage. Keep your place in Colossians. I'd love for you to go with me if you want to, to Isaiah 58. talking in this chapter about true fasting. But then in verses 13 and 14, the reason I have us turn here is because it gives us a beautiful, a beautiful sample from the Old Covenant, from the Old Testament. It gives us a beautiful sample of the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Look at it with me, Isaiah 58, beginning at verse 13. Beginning at verse 13 of Isaiah 58, if you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, 
And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. I've been just enjoying recently just the wonderful Old Testament books of Isaiah and Proverbs. I just find those books just wonderful to dip into those books. Of course, we don't want to just dip in. We want to read. But what a beautiful book is Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 53, you know, is the fifth gospel. And the whole book is beautiful. And this is a beautiful passage, Isaiah 58, 13 through 14. This is an old covenant picture of what the Sabbath was meant to be. Let me ask you a question. If you were to read every single verse in the Bible as though regardless of where it's found, if you were to read every passage as though it were directly applicable to Christians today, if you were to read anything you found in the Bible as though it were directly applicable to Christians today, what would you conclude about the Sabbath from this passage? What would you conclude? Well, I think you would conclude that the Lord God is jealous for this His Sabbath day among His people Israel. That He takes it very seriously. That it was not meant to be, ultimately it was not meant to be a burden for them, but it was meant, do you see, uh, it's repeated twice here. This, this delight, it was meant to be a delight for them. So I think if we were to say, by the way, as, as many do, it's a minority, it's a minority, but many do, they would just take this passage and say it's, it's pretty much directly applicable for Christians today. That being the case, I think we would have to say the Lord takes this with great seriousness. It's not meant to be a burden. It's meant to be a delight. Isaiah 58, just to give you a sample there, listen to me. One key statement this morning. We must believe in Jesus to find rest in Him. You know, the Sabbath was not primarily the Sabbath command, by the way, and we need to keep that in mind. You can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 5 or in Exodus. It's the fourth command out of the Ten Commandments. It'd be good for us to keep that in mind. We're actually going to look at it in just a bit. It's the fourth command of the Ten Commandments. You know, it actually doesn't have, in my opinion, as much to do with worship as it does with rest, primarily with rest. And what I want to say this morning is I want to, with the help of the Spirit of God, I want to exalt Jesus Christ. I'm not interested. I'm not. Brothers can disagree on this issue. I'm, I'm deeply convicted about what I'm going to teach you this morning. I want to help you. I want to help us think about Sunday. And I'm not going to hold back from, from what I believe the Scripture's clear on. I want to be crystal clear as well that brothers can dis do disagree and can disagree. And in one sense, that's perfectly fine. We all, all of us want to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. We must believe in Jesus to find rest in Him. Let me say this to you, especially as you think about Colossians chapter 2. As fallen people living in a fallen world, what we need, dear brothers and sisters, is help to actually overcome sin. I'm saying this specifically in light of Colossians chapter 2. As fallen people living in a fallen world, we need help to actually overcome sin. Now stay with me. Listen to me. Hear what I'm not saying and what I'm saying. There's a real sense 
There's a real sense in which if you have never overcome sin, you're not a Christian. Please hear what I'm not saying. Christians still continue to sin daily. But because being a Christian is not about us, and it's not about our works, and it's not about what we do, but it's about the all-powerful God and His Son, Jesus Christ, and what He did on the cross is so powerful that when we by grace simply believe, we are, through union with Christ, dead to sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. So I say there is a sense, there is a sense in which if you have never overcome sin in your life, which just simply means believing in Jesus, conversion, because the gospel's that powerful. I'm not saying that Christians don't continue. Christians absolutely continue to sin. We don't want to. But this morning calls us to believe in Jesus to find rest in Him. It tells us, it tells us that the way to find rest is not through bad religion, it's not through mysticism, and it's not through seeking to obey the law. It's through our head, Jesus Christ. It is through our head, Jesus Christ. Let me ask you some questions this morning. Let me try to make this as simple and as clear and as practical as I can. We already see, and I'm not trying to make too big of a deal of this, I did think it was very interesting, that Supreme Court decision, that unanimous decision. I agree with that decision. Celebrate that decision. Let me ask you some questions, as I said. Should Christians, what do you think about this? Should Christians make sure to work jobs that are six work days per week? Should Christians who care about the Bible, who care about God, should we make sure that we work jobs that are six days a week? Why would I ask that? Well, it comes back to the, to the what? To the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Honor the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall work. But the seventh day is a day that is holy to the Lord your God. On it you shall not work, and neither you nor your animals or all these things. And so the reason I ask that question is just one of these really practical questions. What does this have to do with my life? Well, if we take the Bible seriously, and we should, if we take the Sabbath seriously, and we should, then we should take this question. It's an interesting question. Should we make sure to work jobs that are six work days per week? Because the Bible says six days you shall work and on the seventh you shall rest. Well, let me go ahead and play my cards this morning. Hebrews, 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 Hebrews. What is that? Jesus is the guarantor and the mediator of a better covenant. Christians today are not, listen to me, are not under the law of Moses. Hebrews 8.13 says that the old covenant is going, going, gone. And so I would say that based on creation, when God created in six days and then He rested, I would say that's a great pattern for us. It's important. The New Testament is clear. Christians, of all people, should not be lazy. Of all people, Christians should work Work with your hands, lead a quiet life. And so if the five-day work week, which in actually in many ways is a blessing, 
is something we should, for which we should be grateful. Most of human history could not fathom a five-day work week. That would sound crazy to most of human history. Five-day work week, you can't do it. So it's, 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 it's a good thing. It's something for which we should give thanks to God. But when you pose the question according to Scripture, six days you shall labor. Christians of all people should not be lazy. And that's a great pattern. Work six days. Even if your job is like four days a week, you know, you, you have the freedom to do other things on those other days. And God desires that we rest. And work is not part of the curse. Work is a good gift from God. Work six days and rest a day. Don't neglect the day of rest if you can all help it. And don't neglect the six days of work, whatever shape or fashion it may take. Paid, unpaid. So that's one question. Here's another question. What are some views on this whole issue? What are some views on this issue of Sunday? Uh, let me just give you two views. Maybe you could do more, but let me give you two views that Christians have. One is called what's called the Sabbatarian view. Okay, It's called the Sabbatarian view. And basically, I hope I'm representing it faithfully. It's not my view, um, but it's view of, of many brothers that I love and have learned much from. And I don't need to give them permission to hold this view. The Bible gives them that permission. But this view called the Sabbatarian view is that we must still obey the fourth commandment to honor the Sabbath day and to keep it as holy and to, listen, to not work on the Sabbath day. Now, the, the Sabbath day, I'm talking about Sunday and Sabbath, and I hope it's not confusing. We can all agree, we should all agree, the Sabbath is not Sunday. At least we should all be able to agree that the Sabbath was Saturday for the Jews. Let's be more specific. For Israel, the Sabbath was sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. So we don't just say the Sabbath was Saturday. It certainly it was not Sunday. By the way, the early church never practiced uh, Sunday as the Sabbath. It's just a historical fact call it the Lord's Day. So it was actually sundown Friday to sundown Saturday. But this view that's called the Sabbatarian view, which is dear brothers and sisters who hold this view and who want to honor God, convicted according to Scripture that this is the right view. This view says the Ten Commandments are binding for all people of all times. I actually don't believe that. The Ten Commandments are for all people, all time, and that ab absolutely includes the Fourth Commandment. This view says that the Sabbath is what's called, and just stay with me, the Sabbath is what's called a creation ordinance. A creation, it goes back to, it goes all the way back to creation. And indeed, the Ten Commandments, indeed the Ten Commandments do take us back to God's six plus one pattern in creation. They do. I don't think this is a creation ordinance. And so basically what it says is the only thing that's changed for us today is primarily the day. The day has Sabbatarians would say it's not Saturday. It's the Christian Sabbath. The Christian Sabbath is Sunday. There should be no work except for works that are absolutely necessary. And it should be a day of rest and worship. And of course, there's much scripture that I'm going to say it would seem to support that view. 
There is another view. What are some views on this whole issue? There is another view. And that view is that we are not, we are not obligated to obey the fourth commandment as though it were universally applicable. Because, because it is fulfilled in Christ. So the other view, which is my view, and which is the view that we, we practice, is that you could say it negatively or you could say it positively. We are not obligated, and the scripture to me seems clear about this, we are not obligated to keep the Sabbath the way that Israel was obligated to keep the Sabbath. Or you could say, we do have to obey the fourth commandment. We do have to obey the fourth commandment, which says, honor the Sabbath day. Six days you shall work, and on the seventh you shall rest. It is, it's a holy day to the Lord. We do have to obey it, but the way that we obey it is by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and by resting in Christ. We must believe in Jesus to find rest in Him. So you see, we could say, yeah, we do need to obey it, and the way that we obey it is through resting in the Lord Jesus Christ because Christ fulfills the law. Hebrews chapter 8, the Old Covenant is obsolete. These fancy words, the Old Covenant's obsolete. The, uh, the New Covenant, uh, I guess the word is abrogates the Sabbath. It does away with the Sabbath. Again, to me, this is very clear. Even one of the greatest heroes, in fact, the greatest hero for many of the Reformation, we'll call him Johnny C. Johnny C. was not a Sabbatarian, which is actually interesting. And when he looked at Colossians chapter 2, for example, he said, he said something to the effect of, you would, you would have to be almost a madman to not see what he's saying here in Colossians 2, 16 and 17. And at the very least, what he means is Colossians 2.16, he's talking about the normal weekly Sabbaths. And his point is, these are a shadow and the substance belongs to Christ. So therefore, let no one disqualify you. Colossians, these false teachers are coming in and they're saying, hey, we're grading you. We're grading you. How are you doing with your diet? How are you doing with days? How are you doing with your diet? How are you doing with days? Let no one stand there and grade you about your observance of the Mosaic law. By the way, listen to me. Does this in any way sound complimentary? Listen to this. Colossians 2.17 These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Things like eating specific food and not eating specific food, observing certain festivals or not observing certain festivals, observing days like the Sabbath. All of these things are a shadow. But the real deal is Jesus Christ. Now listen to this in Hebrews. Listen to this. You need to, in your mind at least, you don't have to go there, draw a line from Colossians 2.17 to Hebrews 10.1. Hebrews 10.1. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. That is Scripture that interprets Scripture. Hebrews 10.1 interprets Colossians 2.17. 
What is it saying? For some people, what I'm about to say is radical, and for me, it's, it's not at all. If we would not dream of going back to animal sacrifices, since Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who was slain for sinners once and for all, then to me, the text, the, not, not my ideas, but the text makes it clear, we also don't need to go back to the Sabbath. In the same, listen to me, in the same way, what's the sign of God's covenant with Noah? The sign of God's covenant with Noah was the rainbow. The sign of God's covenant with Abraham was circumcision. The sign of the old covenant, the, according to the Bible, the sign of the old covenant was the Sabbath. A gracious gift of God to his people Israel. I've redeemed you out of Egypt. I've saved you with my mighty hand. I've brought you out of Egypt. You were working as slaves, slave labor. You never got rest. I'm giving you this good gift. I'm giving it to you, in my view, I'm giving it to you, Israel, as the sign of the covenant. The scripture's very plain. Hebrews, Hebrews, Hebrews. The new covenant is here. The old covenant is gone. The sign's gone with it. The sign's gone with it because of that which has come. The fulfillment has come. Jesus Christ has come. If the essence, if the substance is here, why are you dealing with the shadow? Why are you bothering with a shadow? So those are some views. What's another key passage on this? I've already given you Colossians 2, Hebrews 8. Isaiah 58, Colossians 2, Hebrews 8, Isaiah 58. Listen, let's not take for granted the fourth commandment. Listen to it. Listen to the actual fourth commandment. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. If I'm saying that we are not required in the new covenant to obey the fourth commandment or that we obey it by believing in Jesus Christ and entering his rest, Hebrews chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 4, by the way, if I'm saying that this is not directly applied to us the way it was applied to Israel, does that mean there's nothing we can learn from the fourth commandment? No, that's not what it means. And I would say the main thing that we learn today from the fourth commandment, the Sabbath commandment, is the importance of rest. Again, uh, the pattern in the old was six plus one. Six days you shall work, and the, and the Saturday was the Sabbath. And the pattern, interestingly, interestingly, in the new covenant is one plus six. It's one plus six in the new covenant. We start on the first day of the week that we call the Lord's Day. Why? because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the first day of the week. And then we have the rest of the six days. And you add in the new covenant, you add one plus six, and you have seven days of Sabbath rest. And Hebrews chapter four, we are looking forward to the eternal and ultimate rest through 
Jesus Christ. So I do think, if whatever you want to say, there are, there are principles. This is our scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 5, Exodus chapter 20, it is our Christian scripture, even if it is not our covenants. I've got a friend named Blake White, and, I, and this morning, before we close here in a few minutes, I know we're maybe getting a little more doctrinal than typical, maybe. This is relevant to us because it's the Word of God. Not, first of all, because of the Supreme Court, but because of Jesus Christ. So my friend says, you know, there's actually uh, there's some differences between Presbyterians and Baptists. But when it comes to Presbyterians and what's called Reformed Baptists, there's a, there's a lot of similarity on this issue. Presbyterians and Reformed Baptists all go to the mat, pretty much. Go to the mat for the Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath, the Christian Sabbath. That's not my view. The Christian Sabbath. So he says this. He says, let me rush to affirm how much I love these brothers and sisters. I love their reformational heritage, much of their confessions, their large view of God, and their high view of Scripture. I put the five solas on my groom cake. You know, like sola scriptura, solus Christus. He says, I have so much in common. I share so much with these theologians, much more than with my own denomination, the Southern Baptist Convention, which is all too often pragmatic. I tried hard to become Presbyterian in college. I figured being a PCA or an OPC elder would be a much nicer fit than a Southern Baptist pastor. But the Bible wouldn't let me. When I learned of the Founders Ministry, I was so excited. That is, until I attended a conference and realized I was an unwelcome guest due to my views on the Sabbath. I value so much of what they stand for, my brothers and sisters, but think they're wrong on the issue of the Sabbath, which shows the larger differences in the way we read Scripture. It's just interesting. You know, you might, I don't know, I don't know, you might think of our church as a Reformed Baptist church, and in one sense, we're not. Because they say you got this is this is massively important. What are you going to do? You're going to take out one of the Ten Commandments? Nope, nope. We're going to say it's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're going to say it's fulfilled, and we're going to say we could look at more scriptures than we have looked at today. And we're going to say that good brothers disagree on this issue, and we are not going to call this brother a legalist. And we hope he doesn't call us an antinomian. If you care about that, listen. I'm going to read you something else. I want you to hear this. I thought this was really helpful. Again, for those on the other side of the issue, this is, this is not helpful at all for them. This is where I'm at according to Scripture. I thought, I thought this summed it up so well. Just listen to this. Observing the Sabbath is a disputable matter for Christians, a matter of conscience. If, if you are a Sabbatarian, then you have to answer, how does anybody actually keep the Sabbath the way it was meant to be kept? Is that even possible today? This is a matter of conscience. Romans 14, issues such as adultery or murder are not disputable matters. Nine out of the Ten Commandments are repeated in the New Covenant. This one, in my opinion, is not only not repeated, that's clear, it's actually abrogated done away with, Jesus Christ. Issues such as adultery or murder are not disputable matters, but at this stage in salvation history, observing the Sabbath is a disputable matter. You can go one way or the other. 
Christians who think that obeying God involves observing the Sabbath have a weak conscience on this issue. They are theologically incorrect. Those with a strong conscience, all of this according to Romans 14. Romans 14. Those with a strong conscience on this issue must not look down on or despise Sabbatarians as legalistic. Some Christians think that certain activities are sinful to do on Sunday. Some Christians think these things are sinful on Sunday. Eating at a public restaurant, shopping at a grocery store, watching a football game, playing a football game, mowing your lawn, doing schoolwork, working for pay, and so on. Such issues should not divide fellow church members. They are matters of conscience, so Christians with less strict convictions about how to treat Sunday should respect those with stricter convictions. But the theologically correct position is that Sunday is not the Christian Sabbath. It also was not practiced that way in history. As with other matters of conscience, it is heretical for a person to insist that observing the Sabbath is necessary to be a Christian. That's where especially we would want to say, that's dangerous, dangerous, terrible waters. You don't observe the Sabbath, you can't be a Christian. No, no, no. That distorts the gospel by legalistically adding to it. And I'll close with this for what he says here. For Christians today, every day is a Sabbath of rest in Jesus. We have already entered the Sabbath rest that Jesus secured, and we will fully enter that rest in the future. Dear, dear friend, the only way that you can overcome sin in your life is the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and be unique being united to him by faith. And if you're a Christian, the only way that you daily get victory over sin is not by careful observance of the law, but is by staying with your head, Colossians 2, our head, Jesus Christ. And we're so grateful for the Lord's Day. We're so grateful for the Lord's Day. Let's pray together. Lord, help us to sit humbly under your word 2,000 years of church history is not your word, but Lord, we, we know that we are not alone. And we pray that you would help us to pray earnestly and to search the scriptures. Lord, help us to search the scriptures and to see, as Jesus said in Luke 24, how they bear witness of me. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, the mediator of a new and better covenant. And Lord, help us to give very careful attention by your grace to obedience to what your word says in this new covenant. Through Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.